This is WOR Radio, your station for news. Offbeat comics Bob and Ray trade laughs with the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters on the bright new Mike Douglas Show tomorrow at 5 o'clock on WOR-TV Channel 9. This is WOR-AM and WOR-FM, your RKO general station in New York. some of us have, plain, ordinary, garden, run-of-the-mill, simple, <laughs> humility, and uh, this is, uh, in fact, uh, the theme of the substance of tonight's program. It's the humility hour for the humble people, and uh, this is old humility himself. No, this is not a tuning fork, Matt. Now, listen carefully. Now, no, just, just give me the give me the microphone here. Adjust it. Now, listen carefully. You hear it very good. Simple, lone prairie, or would you prefer to hear uh, something that went like this? Would you prefer my Indian version? You want to hear this played the way it is played in the Far East? See, there's nothing to it at all. You know, speaking of uh, nothing to it at all, since this is uh, Thursday night, which means a nervous night for many of us, because already I can uh, feel the pulse beginning to beat a little stronger, a little heavier. Uh, life is lived uh, in a little more of a heady fashion. 
uh, I <laughs> I think that uh, we should tonight, if if at all possible, uh, attempt to maintain a certain amount of equilibrium equilibrium there, if at all possible. Just uh, hang out to the handlebars, friends. And uh, if you're ready for truly heady stuff tonight, you've come to the right spot on the D I A L. Oh. Hold it there now. You just bring it down, Matt. Reset it and get ready and keep your hand on the tiller there. Because we're liable to need it at any minute now. Feel yourself going down for the third or fourth time. You may need a good quick shot of Tchaikovsky. Keeps your water wings full and bubbling. And uh, it's rich and heavy and buoyant. And has a very low specific gravity. It means it won't sink so quick. Or is it that it has a high, spe- low specific gravity? won't sink so quick. Uh, you know, uh, there has been a... Have you ever heard of the theory of games? Any of you out there? Well, there's been several types of theories of games. And one of the theories of games that I think is one of the most interesting of all the theories of games is the theory that says that at any given time, people will play games about that which there is least of in the society at that time. In other words, uh, in the days, uh, let's say, in the very earliest days when the Charlie and Og, the cavemen, sat there scrunched down next to their antediluvian lake and they thought of playing games... And the uh, the game, uh, the animals and the the venison and the deer and the rabbits had gone over to Pittsburgh or someplace had left. Well, what kind of games did they play? They played games like let's play that there are a lot of rabbits. Let's play the deer game, <laughs> you know. And they'd sit there and pretend there are deer and rabbits. And they would play with the little dice and rattle the bones and seven deer and eight deer and nine deer, fourteen rabbits. And uh, that's. Uh, one of the theories of games. To, to illustrate my point, during the 1930s, in the middle of the great American, in fact, the worldwide depression, the single most popular game was a game called Monolopy. It's a game called Monolopy. And it was about M-O-N-Y, money, bucks, barucks. Now, what did they have least of in the depression? Barucks, money. And so <laughs> thousands of guys sat on their you-know-whats hour after hour, day after day, and played like they owned Park Avenue. And they spun little pointers, and they picked up little cards that said, uh, move three spaces after go, pick up $50, your Aunt Emmy has died and left you a heritage. And uh, you remember those? Uh, the fantastic game. All right, now, get ready with them. With, get ready. All set in there. What do we have least of in our society right now? That's right. So what do you think the game of our time, full-page ad in the New York Times, relates to? All right, bring it up. Full-page ad in the New York Times, April 12, 1965. We are recording this for posterity, so the posterity can know what was our problem. And what we were hung up. Posterity, oh, wow. Bring it up there. That's a message to posterity. Bring it up there. 
Yes, gone is old Monolope with its poor, simple play for dollars and cents and the ownership of the Reading Railroad. The newest game is called The Game <laughs> The Game The Game of L-O-V-E The Game of Love The game of love can be played by two to eight players here in after called Lovers. The object of the game, the object of the game is to land in the love nest by out-romancing all the other lovers playing. Your reward is collecting a kiss bear hug, or the top prize, a hearty handshake from the lover of your choice. You can see they mean business. Before play starts, each lover selects an additional marker, an individual marker, and places it on the pink starting space. Since the road to romance is seldom smooth, spaces have been numbered for your convenience. And, uh, let's all play tonight. Love, the new, exciting, thrilling game. Let's just play at love. The oldest or most experienced lover goes first, and the youngest or least experienced is last method of determining the proper order for your group is not included in this set of rules. The lover selected tosses the die and moves accordingly and all follow in turn. If you are a female and land on a space depicting a male, move one space forward. If you land on a female, move two spaces back. If you are a male, and if you land on a couple holding hands, embracing or whatever, you must do the same with the lover of the opposite sex nearest you. If you land on a space with a child on it and you are married, move two spaces forward. If single, move two spaces back. If you land on one of the spaces occupied by the sorceress of love, you must go back to the starting space and begin again at your next turn. If you have just returned from a big date, if you have made more than 67 cents in change, go forward three spaces. If less than 67 cents, go back three. He who loves and runs away lives to love another day. But if you want to play the game... I am not inventing this. This is a game that is now on sale. Let's see where it's at. Brentano's. This is not a commercial. The Game of Love. Will you arrive first at the love nest for your hearty handshake? Will you be the first lucky one to go all the way 
in the new exciting, thrilling game of love. Well, now here you got it. You see. <laughs> now, no, that that I think fits very nicely into the game theory. Very nicely. Very nicely. It fits beautifully. And, uh, in fact, uh, we are filing that now in our great file of trivia. That goes there with the descriptions of gigantic Parcheesi matches that were played at Times Square. That goes there with the bridge craze. That uh, is filed with the Monolopy world. Oh, you want to know about Monolopy? Listen, I'll tell you about uh, Monolopy one time in case you're interested in how that game can get you. And I am not a Monolopy fan, definitely. And you wonder why... Oh, look, I know it is not pronounced Monolopy. Is that what they're calling up about? I see. Oh, poor simple souls. Well, uh, the reason that it is pronounced Monolopy by me, there are only seven people in the world who pronounce it Monolopy. And they have a good reason for it. That a friend of mine decided one day, of course, we're kids, you know, and, and uh, we had these Boy Scout, uh, what do they call them? Boy Scout Jamboree Projects. Did you ever have such a thing, Matt? You, ever, you, you were never a Boy Scout, eh? Well, a Jamboree Project is if you decide to make a board, you know, with all the knots, you tack all the knots down there, and you take it down to the big Jamboree, maybe you'll win a prize. Uh, his the, his decision as as a big project in the Boy Scout Jamboree was to make a Monopoly board inlaid. You know how guys make an inlaid checkerboard, or they make an inlaid chessboard, or a backgammon board. He decided to make an inlaid Monopoly board, and it was made out of beautiful wood. He got pine wood. He got he got walnut. He got mahogany, and you got out of the, the lumber yard, you know, and buy little pieces of wood and so on. And finally, he makes all the letters. You know, he made it an exact copy of a real Monopoly board. You know, with the big, with the big name right across the thing there, and the little train where it shows the Reading Railroad, and the little place where it shows the waterworks and all that stuff, and it said go and everything. He worked about a year on that thing. Every couple of days, he would be down in the basement for a day, and he'd be working down there. And finally, the big unveiling came. His name was Geza, in case you're interested. Geza Nemeth. He was Hungarian. <laughs> Maybe this accounts for why what he did. Geza called us down one day, and he says, we're going to play with his big, brand-new, beautiful Monopoly board for the first time. And all of us go trooping down into the basement. You know how kids play. We play for this game. And we sit down at the, at the kitchen table down in the basement there, and his mother brings us a big thing of stuffed cabbage. And we got some KO, and we're all sitting around playing the sport. And, and all of a sudden, flick! Flick, Flick was the wise guy in this case. We're playing the game. You know, these games, I don't know of anybody who's ever finished a game of Monopoly. I guess it's like real Monopoly in real life. You never kill them. That, uh, I have never heard of a Monopoly successfully fought in real life. Well, I have never heard of a Monopoly game successfully completed. And so we're sitting there, you know, we're playing for about nine hours moving. I, I own Reading Railroad and the Waterworks or something, and I own Ventnor Avenue and Atlantic Avenue. We're yelling at Hollywood hotels back and forth. And, and oh, no, no, oh, wow, he's going to jail. Oh, for crying out loud. This is going on. And Flick is looking at the board with a sort of a bemused look. And finally he says, say, wait a minute, let's, wait, wait just a minute, everybody. There's something funny with the board. Looking at it. And suddenly it hit all seven of us. Geza has spelled it M-O-N-O-L-O-P-Y. Monolopy. 
Well, now this board had taken him a year to make. It was inlaid. You don't just, you know, say put a, you know, uh, take a take a crayon and say scratch out the L there and but you know change it. There and and it was going to be in the big. It was going to be in the big jamboree contest a, a couple of days later. And there was his beautiful board. We all looked there and Gase said, "What's the matter? What's the matter with my board? What's the matter? What's the matter?" You know, he'd been looking at this thing for a year. He couldn't see what was wrong. And Flick says, there's something funny about the name. And then Schwartz says, oh, well, no, that's, well, what do you mean? We're playing Monolope. It says Monolope. And Flick says, yeah, we are playing Monolope. But there was an unspoken agreement for nobody from that day on to say the word Monopoly in our neighborhood. The game became Monolope. Speaking of monolopies, this is WOR AM and FM New York, your RKO General Station. Would you please hit the button? The glow of hospitality, <laughs> the sparkle of friendship. These are the qualities you pour with every glass of sparkling, zippy, wowieful, flavorful, distinctive Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. This beer with its wonderful old world flavor has a heritage all its own. Brewed four centuries in the smelly, musty old European castle during 1965, Miller High Life celebrates its 110th anniversary in America, brewed under perfect conditions only in uh, Milwaukee. You say enjoy life when you pour Miller High Life. You say here is the finest, the Champagne of bottled beer. Whether you prefer Miller High Life on draft, in cans, the pop and bleed can, yes, Miller High Life is sparkling. Bring it up there. Delicious. Fantastic. Fantastic. Miller High Life. Now, uh, would you please hit the button again? Is your car old enough to smoke? Surprising how many cars are. Is your car old enough to smoke? Surprising how many cars are. If your car's gobbling up oil... Put it on a reducing diet. Just a can of Prestone Oil Miser added to your regular oil saves money. Prestone Oil Miser is just what the name says. It's a miser for saving oil, restores lost power, quiets noisy engines, stops oil burning in any car. Get Prestone Oil Miser in the can with a handy tear-off top. Insist on Prestone Oil Miser. It helps save oil, save money, save your car. If your car's old enough to smoke, surprising how many cars are. If your car's old enough to smoke, get Prestone Oil Miser. That's wiser by far. Prestone Oil Miser is a product of Union Carbide. That's very touching. We're getting rid of all the commercials here all at once. Let's see. Uh, here's the bad news. Oh, here's the bad news department. Do you need money, good hard cash to pay off your bills or spend any way you like? Well, here's how you can borrow up to 800 bucks without leaving your home, without calling on anyone to co-sign, without making visits to any office. If your age is between 25 and 65 and you are steadily employed, just print your name and address on a postcard and send it to Murdoch. Murdoch Acceptance Corporation, Box 659, Poplar Bluff, Missouri. 
And they will send you a simple form which you can fill out in the privacy of your own home. If you're a strap man, drop it in the mail. And after the application is processed and approved, Murdoch rushes the money to you by return mail. You rip it open and rush out and spend it. That's all there is to it. This is one of the easiest, most confidential loan services ever offered. Murdoch does not inform your boss, your relatives, or your references. Murdoch deals directly with you. If you need money for any purpose, get on a stick. Print your name and address on a postcard and send it to Murdoch, M-U-R-D-O-C-K, Box 659, Poplar Bluff, Missouri. Yes, sir, that's my baby. No, sir, I don't mean maybe. Yes, sir, that's my baby now. Oh, by the way. Oh, by the way. You know, uh, speaking of uh, monolopies, as long as we're getting into this business of the games, the idea of a, of a society playing a game about love, have you noticed that at the end it's only a hearty handshake you get? <laughs> Somehow that's a terrible letdown, and yet it's probably quite true <laughs> in this day and age. Uh, the, the, uh, the problems, of course, are manifold. Hey, you know, I, I've thought of, of coming up with, it, with the theory of the midman. If you don't mind me coming up with a theory here. The midman is the man who is not in the frilly lace purple sweater group, and he's not in the other group. He's in the uh, pleasure principle group. Uh, that's uh, it's kind of like an offshoot of Playboy and James Bond, you know. It's the midman. He's uh, kind of an in-between type. Uh, and, and speaking of midmans, have you been hearing? Have you been reading about about uh, all the theories that are going back and forth regarding the communication that some scientists say that we're hearing from another planet somewhere? Have you been reading all that? Well, uh, there's been very little talk, actually. Just one day, there was a lot of talk about it. This is a theory that was uh, promulgated by, I believe it was a Russian scientist, here a couple of days ago, in a very learned Russian scientific astronomical journal. And there hasn't been much said about it since. Now, I, I, I wonder whether or not... Now, this is just a, a, a question, just a hypothetical... Not, not, not a question, really, but a conjecture... You know, there is, uh, there is a lot of evidence to prove that this radio program that I'm giving right now, that I'm, I'm, I'm modulating 50 kilowatts here, that uh, as much as we know about radio transmission, as much as we know about the dissemination of radio radiations, we do not know everything about them. This is a recognized fact. No one, no one quite knows how they behave in outer space, for example at extreme distances. And on this frequency, too, by the way, Matt, 710 on the dial here. Now, there is one theory that says that a certain percentage of all the radio transmission that is made, like I'm talking here, some guy sitting over there playing rock and roll, uh, another guy's uh, down the line someplace interviewing a, a half-baked author, uh, somewhere somebody is, uh, is playing a, a, a washboard, and a jug fiddle, you know, and so on, that no matter how much is done, and in fact how little is done, a certain percentage of that signal pierces 
The ionization layer that's around the Earth that generally keeps most radio signals down on Earth level pierces it and goes out into space forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, it travels at a finite speed, you know. It travels at a measurable speed. It travels at the speed of light. What's it, 186,000 miles a second, I believe, something like that. That's a finite, measurable speed. Now, that means that if you take enough time, let's say if you take uh, 10,000 seconds, you can figure how far out your radio signal is. That means that if you uh, were to have some kind of a little receiving set on a satellite or something way out in space that would be roughly 10,000 seconds away, that the radio signal would be delayed. In other words, uh, I say hello, and 10,000 seconds later, it arrives out at that little radio set. And now that, that's uh, 10,000 times 186,000, and that you can figure out how many miles that would have to be. That's a lot of miles. But space is a lot of miles. Now, the, the uh, point that I'm getting to is this, that there have been a lot of theories, of course, that if you go far enough out in space, Matt, far enough out in space, you can hear radio programs that were transmitted 40 years ago. You can hear the first beepings of Marconi. Yeah, they continue to travel out there on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And, and if you get way out far away, you are beyond the place where any of them have ever even reached yet. And that means if you got a radio set out there, nine billion, billion, billion miles away, and all of a sudden you can hear the first, the first little honkings of the first Kurtzian experiments. Some guy's messing around with a spark. And then there's a brief pause. Then it starts going. It's making code now. It's making letters. Then the next thing you hear, hello, one, two, three, four, can you hear me, Dr. Murphy? Wah, hello. The first experiments with modulation, hello, one, two, three, four. And then there would be a brief pause, and then you'd hear, and now from the Hotel Watson, we bring you the Colton Kuhn Orchestra, the A&P Gypsies, and, and then all the way on up until... The last second you hear me talking like I'm talking now. Now, uh, uh, this, is a, this is a staggering idea, but nevertheless, it is quite uh, feasible and, in fact, probable. It's not, it's not a theory. It's probable that you could get these radio signals somewhere, wherever you go. Now, now we're getting to, to, now we're getting to the real heartland of this thing. They do say, however, that... It could conceivably be so far away that any receiver would be located. Let's say, uh, oh, uh, who knows, let's 300 light years away, they start hearing this, that the entire Earth is already gone, that all the people are gone by the time our radio signals reach there. It's taking that long, 400, 900,000 years or something. And some guy is sitting up there with his, with his very earliest uh, equipment. They've got a couple of big uh, parabolic reflectors out there. And he begins to hear signals from space. Ah, ah, ah. You know, the first thing. Then all of a sudden he says, sir, that's my baby. We bring you now the A&P Gypsies direct from the Hotel Carlisle in downtown St. Louis, Missouri. And he's here. Hearing this thing, at first he couldn't figure out what it is because it isn't his language, you know. I can assure you of that. At first, uh, they say, "Do you know there is a regular sequence here? 
there is something there. There must there must be some kind of recognizable uh, society out there. There must be some kind of a nutty uh, intelligence at work out there. Yes, sir, that's my baby. No, sir, I don't mean... Well, it would be pretty hard at first for them to recognize this as a recognizable or, uh, let's say, uh, an intelligence of any kind. Well, now, the point is this. Then, immediately, uh, upon discovering this signal coming in, and they're listening to it, of course, let's say that we will have radio. Who knows how long uh, they will continue to be broadcasting from this planet. Maybe even uh, as long as uh, a half million years. You know, we're at the very beginning of, of the uh, electronic world of man. The very, very beginning. So let's say uh, various types of radio stations, television stations, radar stations, all the various things that are sending out stuff into space will continue to operate on Earth for, let's say, a million years. And then the Earth will cool, and gradually it will decline, and man will be no more, and there will be just the great seas. But that fantastic lake of electronic sound that we will have created in that million years will be floating forever out there in space. We will have left this thing, this gigantic monster out there, this this great big uh, uh, continuous wave and modulated wave zeppelin of sound and, and radar and sonar and oh the whole you know the, the 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 beeps from the little from the satellites the whole bit it's all going out there see and on the whole wide band now if 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 they hear this you see say say somebody is listening to us and he hears this two million years from now all this stuff is coming in. And he says, well, he says, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, they begin to hear all this stuff and they're taping it or whatever it is they will do at the time and the scientists will pour over it and they will, they will put graphs and charts, they'll run it through the oscilloscopes and they'll finally determine the languages being spoken. And then they will try to contact this crowd and we won't be there. They'll know it comes from a certain part of the, of the solar system, the galaxies way out there, and they will start grinding up and cranking up all their stuff and uh, turning on the high power and they will direct signals this way and some guy will of course say well you know they may not be there so we're going to have to take the chance and so they send all this stuff towards us <laughs> and of course they keep sending it for 500,000 years and then they disappear well, their signals continue to go and misses the Earth, of course, because it's going in all directions and not just right at the Earth. It's going towards us. It continues on out in space on the other way, and a million and a half years after that, somebody catches it way out in the galaxy someplace, way out on the other side of the Milky Way. Just for crying out loud, there's an intelligence out there. Oh, boy. And they've got the parabolic reflectors going. I immediately thought, when, when I read that piece in the Times, I don't know whether you're as fascinated about this as I am, but I, and of course everybody's, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are listening saying, oh, come on, this is ridiculous science fiction. No, this is science, not science fiction in this case. Uh, and I, I was immediately struck by that, reading this piece. I was immediately hit by, I wonder if the intelligence that they say is out there, or this one scientist, is still there is still there or is it something that they started a, a million and a half or two million years ago and it's now just finally reaching us and their planet is stone cold dead in the morning 
and there's nothing but a few little stones and rocks and a couple of pieces of iron and an old parabolic reflector laying <laughs> there to remind you of this civilization. But the thing that they created goes on. You know, it has been said by some scientists, Matt, that the only permanent thing that we have created is electronic radiation. Here, you are aware uh, that that uh, that this uh, rocket that's on its way to Mars right now it'll reach Mars, the vicinity of Mars, in July. That they're contacting that rocket by radio, and the radio, incidentally, that they're contacting them by is not very much different from the radio you're listening to me on. Certainly, it's not technically much different. It's on a higher frequency. But as far as the actual uh, composition of what it is, it's not much different. And so somebody somewhere in a laboratory is pressing a button, a little radio signal is going millions and millions of miles out in space and contacting, uh, contacting that little business and going on. You see, it doesn't just stop there. You know, there's a little rocket doesn't catch all the waves and that's it. This stuff keeps going right on and on and on and on and on. Millions. They don't know really how far. There are theories. You know, I'll tell you, uh, one of the first times I ever ran into this thing, uh, uh, this kind of conjecturing as an amateur radio operator, was uh, when, the, when the boys first started to experiment with ultra-high frequency. Uh, for those of you who might be interested in this, I'm sure a lot of you aren't. But I remember uh, I was, uh, oh, I was only a kid, and everybody was experimenting with two meters and five meters, ultra-high frequency, real high-frequency signals, VHF, and one thing and another. And I built a, uh, a two-meter receiver. Well, now, uh, <laughs> that's very strange, you know. It's like, it's like uh, looking into a world that you've never looked into before. The radio is very exciting. It's like turning on a receiver, and you're listening on a band. You're listening. If you can imagine your own radio set. Now, most people don't realize that their radio set has what they call a band of frequencies. The radio you're listening to me on. Now, the band of frequencies that you're listening to me on runs roughly from, uh, well, they call it the broadcast band. It runs from 550 kcs down to around 1600 kilocycles. But if you can imagine there was a time when that band existed, there were receivers, but there was absolutely not a sound on that band. There were no signals to be heard because nobody was broadcasting. Nobody was transmitting. It's like an undiscovered continent. It's like uh, some giant sea that you've just come upon, and, and you, 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 can't, you can't quite uh, figure out what you're going to hear and what you're going to see. Well, I remember building this two-meter receiver and, uh, and, and putting up a, a beam antenna up on the roof, one of the beams that they had at the time, and, and tuning this thing up, and it was working. And you could hear this this tremendous sound of, of the background noise. It was like looking at a land where nobody was walking, where there were no trees, where there was no, uh, there was no recognizable landscape. And yet, it was land. You could tell that it was something from your home, terra, your, your, your terra firma, your, your own world. Shh, it's going. Well, one day, uh, two of us were talking one afternoon. And uh, we were talking on that band, and this was a very close uh, line of sight type of transmission where I'm talking to this guy, he's only about 50, maybe 60 houses away from me, we're sitting there chewing the fat, when all of a sudden, out of the blue, he disappeared, just boom, like a switch was cut. And I heard another signal coming in, and 
without without any warning, suddenly there is a guy coming in, and this guy is in Seattle, Washington. Now I happen to be in Chicago at the time. It's a fantastic moment. It was just like uh, just like uh, suddenly, if you're watching your television set and you're watching Channel Nine, old Channel Whoopi there, you know, when when suddenly Channel Whoopi fades out and in comes Honolulu. Yeah, it's stationed in Honolulu. You know, you, you'd really be thrown. It's a wild scene. Well, I'm listening to this guy, and he fades out. And I'm waiting, and suddenly I hear another signal fading. And the signal is fading in, and there's a guy coming in from Alaska. Fantastic. <laughs> Whoa, you know, and then he fades out, and then they were all gone. And back came my friend. 50 housewives says, did you hear that, Bolas? He says, yeah, yeah, holy smokes. I said, look, where are they? He said, I don't know. It was sunspots doing it. And uh, that was the first discovery, my first personal discovery, I'd read a lot about it, of the effect that outer space has on the day-by-day life that we live, the communications and one thing and another. And then a few months later, mysterious signals began to be heard on that band. Everybody around the country was reporting these strange sounds. There were strange beeping sounds. And we were hearing these boop, boop. They were going like that, and there would be a pause. Boop, boop. And then there would be another pause. And then there would be boop, boop. Another pause. Boop, boop. And fantastic conjecture. Guys are talking all over the band. Everybody's talking about this. And somebody says, you know, it must be outer space or something. And and uh, there was another silence. Nothing. Nobody said anything about it in, uh, officially in any of the journals. And boop, boop. Boop, boop. And then one afternoon, there was a continuous sound that began to be heard. It was going, and it would move across the band. Everyone's following it with the receivers, you know. It's fantastic, you know. It's just like as if you were hearing me on the on the band that you're listening to me. I'm on 710. It would be as if I start to drift right across your dial, and you have to follow me. And this thing would go. Fade out. Spooky. And it would be heard in odd places in the country, off and on, at different points of time. And and immediately they began to repeat. You know, the guys began to talk about this, and they began to chart it. They began to, to, to write about it, only among the amateurs. And then it began to come out that it was some vast scientific experiment that we shouldn't talk about. And everybody was talking about it. And you'd hear this thing go, and it always rang at one note. It was a perfect A note. 440 cycles. Beautiful signal came drifting back and forth. And it wasn't until a couple of years later when I'm in the armed forces that I recognized what they were doing. It was one of the very first experiments that were going on in in very high top secret laboratories with radar. And we were hearing it and all the guys were saying, outer space, holy smokes, outer space, must be. Because there was nothing down there. And then we'd hear once in a while a very strange kind of signal. We'd go drifting out off the band. And so there's a lot, you know, there's there's a lot of... uh, a fascinating uh, romance to this uh, this business of just listening on the radio. And when I heard about the signals, uh, did you hear what what they what the signal sounded like, Matt? 
Well, it sounds like a, a, a continuous wave signal that's broken up with a, a special kind of sporadic modulation, they said, a continuous wave signal, which is CW. And it comes at, at intervals of 100 days at a set pattern. Every 100 days they hear the signal. And uh, I understand it's around 9,000 megs. Am I wrong or not there? I think that's uh, that's the frequency. I, I, I could tell you other things about this, how, how we got involved in uh, in uh, in experimenting. I, I remember one time, uh, speaking of experiments, one I will award you the brass figligy with bronze oak leaf palm. Speaking of trivia, you know, you've heard everybody talking about trivia these days. What was advertised on the back of all the popular mechanics magazines and on the back of uh, things like popular electronics? And, in fact, they even advertised them in uh, such things as, uh, you know, the whoopee page uh, on the back of the, of the newspapers on Sunday. What was the thing that was advertised that says the blank coil, and the, the blank was the name of a man, Matt, the blank coil with which you can mystify and amaze your friends. And it always showed a kid standing there with this big high coil, and he was drawing a fantastic arc. And it was making a big blue lightning bolt. It says, create lightning in your own home. Fascinating experiments with electronics. You can do, any man can build this. Build the blank coil. Wildly exciting. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money returned. The Johnson & Smith Novelty Company. All right, who, what, what was that? What was that? Well, uh, you don't know. Well, one of the first experiments I ever did, you know, it, it, when you're a kid, you know, you don't know the... It's like kids experimenting with medicine or drugs. You know how kids today will experiment with almost any kind of a drug? Uh, they will... They will. Uh, that's what one of the, one of the uh, medical problems is today, that there are many kids who will just eat anything out of a medicine cabinet just to see if they can make themselves high. They'll do anything. They'll eat glass. They'll, they'll boil down leather and throw salt in it and, and throw in a little Alka-Seltzer and... and uh, a little hair of the dog, and then they'll inject it. You know, see what happens. Well, well, uh, when I was a kid, kids did that electrically. Well, I remember one day. Let me tell you a little little story. If you want to hear about experimenting, uh, that that one of the things that guys experimented with, if you could get it, was what they call a spark coil. Have you ever heard of a spark coil? Well, a spark coil is a thing that was found in certain automobiles, old automobiles, and they had large numbers of them in junkyards. And we used to go to junkyards and try to find a spark coil that was good. Now, the spark coil was in li old, old cars. You, you could find them. Nobody used them anymore. They were just piled up in great piles. And they were from Model Ts and things like that. And one day, I got a spark coil. I must have been about eight or nine years old. And, and, uh, and I had been reading about spark coils and experiments you could conduct with spark coils, all the great stuff you could do with them. And I went down to the junkyard, and I got myself a spark coil and paid, I'll tell you exactly how much I paid for it, 12 cents for my spark coil. Beautiful spark coil. Brought it home, polished it all up, and cleaned it up. And it said, take terminals one and two and attach a battery to it. So I took Terminal 1 and 2, and I attached my dry cell to it, and went, right little gap, going, oh, boy, it's wild. And so I take Terminals 3 and 4, and I take a two, couple of pieces of wire, pop, pop, I get a great spark, pop, oh, boy, what a spark. And then the, the, the copy read a little further, that the more batteries you add in series, the more voltage you will produce. So I added another dry cell battery. Pow! Pow! Oh, boy! Well, I had about nine dry cell batteries. I take another dry cell battery, put it in series. Pow! Pow! 
Well, then I finally got six dry cell batteries. I hooked it up, and it goes... I grabbed the two terminals, did not realize at that point that the arc would now transcend the ability of the insulation of the wires to... (laughs) I grabbed the... Pow! Boom! I was knocked flat on my you-know-what. Oh, my spark coil had, had belted back at me. My elbows were singing. My ears were... Oh, speaking of singing... If you are going to plan yourself a little swinging weekend thing, I would suggest you try The Old Happiness, one of the best Chinese restaurants in town, between 93rd and 94th on Broadway. The Happiness, what a great name for a restaurant. Open seven days a week, and it's northern Chinese food served the way it would bring tears to the eyes of a stone Buddha, tears of gratitude and joy and disbelief, the name of the restaurant is Happiness, between 93rd and 94th on Broadway, right in the heart of the Yippie country. Well, it is. You know that neighborhood. For crying out loud, I've been there. Heaven's sakes, you can't push me around. I've been around. Keep your knees loose. And uh, they might be trying to contact us, but I wouldn't worry about them. I suspect they've been long gone. Long gone. And even if we did, wouldn't it be great if in, a, if in about two weeks these signals keep coming in and all of a sudden we start hearing the uh, Galactic 722 version of Vic and Sade and, and Ma Perkins starts coming in, you know. And then a couple of years later, a guy named Old Shep starts coming in from out there, you know. There's another one somewhere out in far space talking about his boyhood somewhere in the Galactic 722 version of Indiana. <laughs> So gee, come on over. Palisades from coast to coast, where a dime buys the most. Palisades amusement park swings all day and after dark. You'll have fun, so come on over. 